Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 32 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. On this episode, my guest is Jason Levin, president of the largest ornamental sunflower company in the world, shipping more sunflowers than anyone, roughly 60 million stems of sunflowers annually. His company is the provider for big names like Costco, Whole Foods, Publix, Sprouts, King Supers, Vaughn, Stater Brothers, just to name a few. I think this episode will deliver a few lessons and a few smiles. Enjoy. Never, ever give up. If you believe in it, if you believe in it, don't ever, ever, ever give up. And, you know, find something you love to do and be willing to get better at it and and be committed to getting better at it, regardless of what it is. I mean, you can you can build a career, you can build a business, you could build a life around your whatever you're passionate about, whatever it is. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So my team and I are working on launching an online version of a tool I use in my speeches and leadership workshops called the Quiggle Assessment. There are a handful of things this tool helps you with, and one reason I use the Quiggle Assessment is to try to help CEOs and leaders understand and practice the idea that we shouldn't waste time telling people what we do. Instead, we should tell them and communicate with them how we change people's lives, how we create value. So at a recent Vistage meeting where I was the guest speaker, Jason Levin, president of Dos Gringos, was in the audience, and when asked what he does without skipping a beat, he says, I deliver smiles. I knew right then that I had to have him on my podcast and introduce him to my audience. Jason, thank you for being on the show. I know you have a packed schedule dealing with a delicate product, so thanks for taking the time uh, with me and my podcast listeners. So for my listeners— My pleasure. Yeah, great to have you here. So for my listeners you know, who may not know the whole story, tell us about your life's journey leading up to when you started your company in 1988. So life's journey before Dos Gringos was, um, you know, I, I have a, a saying that, that when you're born in the United States of America, you start out as a 10 automatically. Uh, I love that. So I've, I've had the privilege of uh, traveling around the world for business, uh, and I, just every time I come back, I realize how lucky I am. Um, then add to that two great loving parents, um, and uh, I pretty much have to be a idiot to not do something halfway decent with my life. So that was the kind of the journey leading up to Dos Gringos. Um, grew up uh, in Illinois, went to school in uh, Michigan State, uh, came to California specifically for the weather um, and to uh, find a job and, and ended up getting a job working for a flower grower uh, and then saw a way to do it a little bit differently. And uh, that's what got me to the to the Dos Gringos point. So you're in the industry and you see that there's this better idea, better way to do something. And you get this crazy idea to start your own flower company. Where did that come from? The yeah. risk there? I mean, were you making enough money? Did you have a so, fascination with flowers? Is that how you got into it? You know, it's interesting. My, I, if somebody would have told me I would have been in the flower business, I would have, uh, when I was, you know, 15 years old, I would have said, you're, you're nuts. Uh, but I was working for a flower grower, saw, um, 
you know, saw the, the business opportunity first and then saw the kind of a, the sense of purpose, uh, um, you know, a few years down the road, but um, saw a different way to do it. Uh, and this, just to show you how naive I was, um, I wrote it and I just found this, you know, your, you know, that briefcase that your uncle gives you when you graduate from college, the leather one with the, the locks. Oh yeah, on totally. It. I, I had one you myself. The code, of course. You set the code to zero, zero, zero to unlock it. So yes. I just found that and I opened it up and I found the very first business plan that I wrote, 27 page business plan to, to borrow $6,000. Um, cause I, I figured, you know, after all everything my parents had given me, I, I got to do this on my own. And, and, uh, so I took it around to 11 different banks to borrow $6,000 to start a, a business called the Flower Warehouse. And they uh, they all turned me down uh, for that $6,000. <laughs> and so, uh, so then um, the, the I was working for the flower growing side of Dos Gringos. Dos Gringos was a going concern. It had been around for about five years prior. And um, the owner of that who had, who had founded it wanted to get out of the business and he was selling the business for $50,000. Um, it's very small, not doing, um, not doing much in, in sales and, and saw a way to just do it a little bit differently and tweak it. And, um, so I wrote another 57 page business plan to borrow $50,000 from the banks. Um, and they all turned me down. So, um, so I had to go to plan 87, which was, I, I love to call it a strategic partner, but, uh, really was more of a loan shark. Um, and he gave me $50,000, uh, myself and then an operating partner and, and him went into, um, bought, basically bought, you know, those gringos. Um, and then I paid the loan shark back a hundred grand the next year. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, that's a nice return for him. He took a risk, but he got a nice return. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, uh, we were able to finance it through kind of the, the perishable side of the business. That's the, the plus of it. You turn your inventory pretty fast about every two days. Uh, so we were able to, to finance it. And, and then uh, my partner and I had a good uh, 10 year run and then I bought him out about uh, 10, 12 years ago. So what was that like? Um, go back to that for a second, because what was that like? Okay. So you have the partner. What, what was it? A 50, 50 partnership? Did he put up some it of that? Was. Did he put up yeah. some of the 25,000 or the 50,000? Or he was just no, we, my partner and I put in our sweat equity and we ran the business and the money guy put in the money and uh, was rewarded handsomely for it the next year. Um, so then we were 50, 50. Um, and, and we, um, yeah, we, we had a good run together, but it was, it was time. Um, we weren't going to get to the next level with, uh, the way we were currently operating. And I, I was, Quite a bit younger than he was, um, so it was time to time for me to buy him out and and for him to retire and ride off into the sunset. Was that a tough process? It was extremely tough. I mean, I, I, I'm making it. I'm making light of it, but uh, those are never easy conversations. They're never never an easy process. Uh, but it was for the kind of the greater good of the of the company. We weren't. We just were forget. We were stuck. Um, and you know, my kind of philosophy is. Um, more along the lines of teaching, coaching, passing the DNA throughout the organization versus um, controlling and telling and doing and and all of that. And so there were basically we're starting to have two different cultures. Um, and as we, you know, we're we were at this point, we we're probably about a twenty million dollar business, and and we just couldn't. We were stuck. We couldn't get. Uh, we couldn't couldn't get unstuck and 
and we were starting to have some quality issues. We were starting to have some things that I knew were just going to be um, losing good teammates, um, things that were, were going to be a problem if I didn't address it. So, so it wasn't easy. No, it, and it never is. I understand that. So for, for a second, tell, tell us about the name. I know some of my listeners are going to, how did you come up with those, or how did they come up with those gringos, I guess, since you bought it from yeah, them? So, so most of um, what we do is, in, is grown in Mexico. What we uh, grow in Mexico and then bring them um, up to the United States. And at that point, that business was just selling to wholesalers who were selling to distributors who were selling to um, bouquet makers um, who may be selling to grocery stores or retailers, etc. So Dos Gringos was kind of the play on the Spanish, um, the, uh, the Spanish term of two white guys. Uh, so, so I, and I liked it because immediately it's kind of a derogatory term. And so it's, you know, to me, it says uh, the the humility of the name and then also the the funniness of the name people typically laugh. And so immediately just from the name of the company, you're starting off with a a name that's consistent with your, your mission of bringing smiles. So, uh, so kept the name. And then even when I bought out my partner, they said, are you going to change the name to uh, Uno Gringo? I said, uh, no. Because uh, this company's never been about two white guys. It's about uh, all the team members that do the heavy lifting day in and day out. And uh, so the name stays. <laughs> Amen to that. We're only as good as the people we surround ourselves with. Go back to that that 57-page, was it, uh, business plan was 57 pages? Yeah, 57, 57 pages. So, yeah. so I'm always curious because I, I encourage people who come to me and they have business ideas to, to, to put together a real business plan that you can evaluate that, you know, sets all the parameters on, you know, who do you think your target market is and where, where are you going to market this thing and what are your expenses going to be? Looking back, how accurate was that? I mean, did, did, did you feel like it was a, it was a, well, yeah, it was a roadmap. I mean, I am a huge fan of, uh, visualization and, and drawing things out and writing things out. And, and it's just the way I, I mean, I, I, um, I played competitive tennis growing up and I was like, the sports psychology piece of it was something that has been a great, uh, life lesson for me in business and life. Uh, so, you know, um, I can still hear my dad saying in the back of my work, my back of my head, plan your work, work your plan, proper planning prevents poor performance, all the, all those sayings. And, um, and so it was a roadmap, you know, did we deviate from it? Absolutely. Was it accurate? No, but was it pretty accurate? Pretty accurate? Pretty, I mean, it was a, it was a roadmap and, um, and it was a great place to, to kind of go back to when you were stuck or when you were, you know, questioning or when you were in the weeds and not thinking too clearly, it's like, all right, here's a, here's a plan that you've put together that, um, uh, when, when you were thinking clearly. So let's go back to that and see what's relevant and what's not. And, and for my listeners, you know, they heard in the introduction uh, to this that, you know, this is this is a large ornamental sunflower company, the largest in the world, shipping more than sunflowers than anyone, you know, 60 million stems annually. You know, you're, you're selling to companies like Costco, Whole Foods, Publix, Sprouts, King Supers, Vaughn, Stater. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? So I'm just so curious. What did you envision for your business when you first started? You clearly, I mean, did you have that big of, of, of a goal? No, you know, uh, well, of course, in the beginning, it's just about survival. And uh, even um, this week, it, this week of the year is always the toughest for me. I always wake up at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat. I call it from going from uh, hero to zero syndrome, where you have to start the year all over again. And, and 
And, you know, I always feel like I'm six months away from bankruptcy, even 25 years after doing it. So, um, so no, I didn't, I mean, I, I thought if I could get the business to 10 million, um, you know, and employ about 50, 60 people, it would have been, I would call it a success. Um, and we've, we've surpassed that, uh, by quite a bit. We've got 350 team members, um, in, in assembly and another 600, uh, in the fields. So doing the harvesting and planting. So we, we surpassed that. Uh, but it wasn't, I mean, that wasn't really the, the idea wasn't to, to, to get big. The idea was to just get better. Um, and to just keep, and, and somehow by focusing on that constant improvement and getting better, we just grew and grew and grew and grew. And, and the next thing you know, we've, we're bigger than the 10 million. That, that, so I, I really want everyone to think, to listen to that, what he just said. So he said that the goal wasn't to get big, it was to get better. And to get better, you've you've got to have the right people. You've got to have the right processes. But I appreciate you saying that because I'm actually going to use that. I, I hope you don't mind because, you know, so often people want to get big and they, they equate that to profits. Well, getting big and profits are a byproduct of being better, of of, of being more efficient, of, of having the right people, of, of building the right culture, all of those different things. So I really appreciate you saying that. And 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 I'm just fascinated with what you're working with. So flowers are so delicate. I mean, what an what incredibly delicate product to, to be dealing with on a regular basis. And then to get them to the end customer so that they're able to enjoy them. Talk to me for a second about the distribution of that. Like, how does that even happen? Yeah, I mean, operational excellence is uh, one of our top four um, you know, strategic initiatives. Um, and that is because of the perishability of it. Our our fresh cooler turns about every forty eight hours, um, and we cut up anywhere from a hundred thousand to three hundred thousand stems of sunflowers a day. So, um, depending on the time of the year, so it um, you know it's it's about the price. It's people in process, and uh, we have about fourteen days um, from the time that we harvest it. And our goal is to get it to in the consumer's hands so they at least have a week to enjoy it. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's fast paced. There's some automation, but we're, we're fairly labor intensive as well. Uh, so it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with the how we've structured the, the business, how the, the flow of the operation, um, the automation that we've put in, the, uh, um, the people that we've hired. I mean, it's, it's a combination of all of that. But we're shipping uh, from, you know, from San Diego, anywhere from uh, from as close to L.A. to as far as uh, Boston, Montreal, all throughout North America. Yeah, and so, you know, from the time you started in 1988, with six, you have six team members and a 3,000 square foot facility. Talk to my listeners a little bit about how do you scale this out? Because I mean, I know you know you're leading this charge. You've got six people with you in '88. And how do you grow the business? Because there's so many of my listeners right now that are in a small company and they want it, they want to be better, which means get bigger and all these other things. But how do you scale that type of business? I know you're just kind of learning along the way, but you're adding different people at certain times. Like, talk to me a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, you know, people, product, process. I think is the is was always um, our approach, um, and so. You know, it first starts with the people and, you know, you've got to have a really, really um, strong, disciplined hiring process. And then those great people will, you know, kind of help you create the processes that will, you know, put the best product with the best quality 
in uh, in your customers' hands. And then from there, I mean, you've got the you know picture a hill with the snowball. And if you're putting a great product with with great quality in the customers' hands, then they keep coming back to you for more of it. And, and the snowball gets a little bit bigger, and then you're adding another snowball on the hill, and then you're adding another snowball on the hill, and it just, I mean, it just keeps going. Um, but it's again, it's a, it's I mean, one of our you know core values is constant improvement, and and we just uh, we try to get a little bit better every single day. Uh, you know, and if I've got if I've got every team member doing that in their particular role, um, that's how you that's how we get bigger. And that's how we got you know from those six people and 3,000 square feet to quite a bit more. Yeah, I'm sure quite a bit more. So, you you know, <laughs> this exceptional experience, and you say you deliver smiles. So I, I want to buy my wife some flowers. What are the systems and mechanisms in place so that when I go into a Costco or I go into a, a Vons, that that product is going to be exactly what you're expecting it to be? I mean, are there people like in the field checking this? Because you're selling business to business, Right. And in and, and those instances, we are. So we would sell, we would sell our products. So for Costco, for example, we would sell our product, our sunflower. So the people that are servicing the Costco's and they have their own people in the stores. Okay. Um, for Vons, um, the example would be if you, in fact, if you walk into a Vons, you would see a Dos Gringos um, mason jar rack that would say mason jar is $9.99. Um, great. It's a great product at a great company. Um, and so, I mean, we have spec sheets and we have, Packing things. I mean, we, there's a hundred things that have to go right from ranch to retail. I um, mean, we probably control 51 of them. And then the rest is, you know, aligning yourselves with good companies um, like Avon's that is, is, you know, has good team members in place to, to carry out the rest of the chain. Um, and then that's, uh, you know, and then part of it too is, you know, design is a big part of our strategic differentiator. I mean, we, you know, we, we, our tagline is different by design. Um, and that means so much more than just the design of the flowers. It just means we're different. You know, we're different. I like the word different because different doesn't mean you're better. It doesn't mean you're worse. It just means you're just different. You're different than the next guy. And so, um, you know, when we design things, we like to design things that are easy for the consumer from cart to car to counter. That's kind of our design philosophy. So the easier we can make it for a consumer um, to get it from their cart to their car to their counter, um, the better chance we have of them coming back and buying it again. Again, then repeating that snowball and adding a little bit more snow to that ball that goes down the hill. So as a testimony that when I met you, we met at a Vistage meeting. You know, you had brought some flowers and some examples of what you do to the meeting. And I, I thought they had this Christmas box of flowers. It was just spectacularly beautiful. But it was it was small enough and yet beautiful enough for and, and, and probably the right price point where I could just see a lot of people putting in that house. So I love that you said you put it from what? You said from something to cart. Say that again. I'm just – Cart to car to counter. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, so, so you know, you, you're thinking that through the whole process. What were some of your first accounts? And and and, and so what was your it's, first? It's big interesting. One? Yeah. So, well, our first big account on the wholesale side. This is um, a story I'm probably um, not too proud of, but I'll share it. I'll share it with you. But it kind of goes to <laughs> kind of tells you a little bit about who I am. So, our first, very first big account on kind of the wholesale retail side was um, a company out of Minneapolis called Bachman's, which is a very large uh, retail operation. And they also service two grocery store chains, uh, Lund's and, and Byerly's. Um, and my wife is from Minneapolis and it was the morning of my wedding. 
and it was 6 a.m. And I had been calling on uh, this client for about two years um, and with no luck. And I said, you know, I'm just going to call. Uh, Craig Lowe was the buyer's name at the time. So I'm going to give Craig a call uh, at 6.15 in the morning and just see if he's in. Saturday, I mean, flowers never sleep, right? So you just never know when somebody's going to be in the office. So I pick up the phone. I call him. I said, Craig, it's Jason Levin. Hey, I'm in town. I'm getting married later today. I'm just wondering if you might have 15 minutes for me to come in and, and talk to you. I've been calling you for a couple of years, but haven't been able to connect with you. Uh, he said, you're getting married later today. You want to come in and see me? I said, just, yeah, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you have. He said, well, I'm leaving at 8.30. If you can be here before then, um, you got it. And uh, so I said, I'm downtown. I'll be there within 45 minutes. So he met with me for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, and they've been, they've bought from us every, have been married for 21 years. They've bought from us every week since then. Since he, that pro- day. he probably still tells so, that story. <laughs> he does. He does. He's moved on to a few different, and he's moved on to a few different companies and, and kind of brought me along with him throughout his journey too. So it was, uh, but it's one of those, I mean, it's the story of perseverance, right? It's a story of, um, you just one you just never know. Um, you know, if you're if, if somebody's gonna pick up the phone, when they're gonna pick up the phone. I call it managing your luck. Um and then two, you know, never giving up. Never never you know, it's not a matter of uh of a yes. It's, when someone says no, um, I hear yes later. And that's um I think that's the <laughs> That's kind of the mindset. I've been accused of having that same mindset, by the way, from my family, from everyone else. I don't hear no really, really well, but you know, I have the biggest smile on my face and here's why. I just appreciate the perseverance and you know, the, the morning of your wedding, I, I had a vending business and the biggest account that I got over the years, I called on this woman for, like you said, almost two years. And I remember one day I called her and she answered the phone. I said, hey, this is Dan Quiggle. And she said, um, I'm so glad you called. And I almost fell out of my seat because she had never responded that way. And she goes, they're not paying their commission checks on time. I'm ready to make the switch. And I said, I can be there in a half hour. And she goes, you can come tomorrow morning. It was like five o'clock in the evening. And I said, I'm not <laughs> about to let you change your mind overnight. I will be there in 30 minutes. So I appreciate that more than you know. Um, You know, that growth is so interesting. And was there a moment that you ever thought, like, we're never going to make this? Or maybe I made the wrong decision in purchasing this company? Like, was there ever that moment? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... um, uh, Can you share with me? Still... Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've learned so much from from all the mistakes that I've made, which have been thousands. I mean, I think that's, you know, kind of one of the reasons why, you know, when, when someone asks me to do something like this, um, it's a no-brainer because if, so, if somebody who listens to this, one person listens to this, and I can help save them some agony and, uh, and $10,000, dollars $20,000, I would like to do that because it's... Uh, I had a lot of people who were very good to me uh, through along the way. Um, but we, I mean, we had, um, you know, when we talk about people, process, product, um, we, well, for, for a year, year and a half, we're selling the wrong products to the wrong customers. Um, we, were, we were trying to ship flowers that were too delicate, too far. We were having quality issues. Uh, my, you know, my dream was to build the ultimate flower factory. And I got really focused on, on that and building that and did that before I had the right people and the right process to put into that building. 
So, you know, we, we had some, some growing pains. Um, you know, we, I call it driving really, really fast on gravel roads. Sometimes you've got to pave the road before you can drive fast. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, we had a lot of potholes and we we're bouncing all over the place and, and uh, trying to go 110 miles an hour on a gravel road with a bunch of potholes is no fun. So yeah, I thought, um, I, I thought I've, I, I thought we were dead <laughs> multiple times <laughs> along that, along that gravel road. So is that where the people first comes from? I mean, you got to have the right people advising yeah. you and around you to show you stuff like that. Or were you, were you a good listener to those, to that advice? Yeah, but it's about having the right people, right? So, um, I mean, you, and you have, and I think that's one of the hardest parts of, of, um, of growing a business, um, is, you know, and it sounds, it's cliche, but, um, I, um, I, I'm a big, self-help book reader guy. <laughs> and so you got to have the right people on the, on the bus, right. And, and then in the right seat. Um, so I, um, and I, and I didn't have that for a long time. Right. So I mean, I think, I think you, when we got the business from pretty much zero to 3 million in sales and I had to let go of, uh, one of the six people on kind of a startup team, I said to myself, gosh, I'm sure glad I never have to go through that again. That was awful. And then had to do it again at, at seven million, and had to do it again at eleven, had to do it again at seventeen and twenty-five and thirty. You know, if you just <laughs> you always there's just different people for different uh, parts of the business. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. And it doesn't mean we're a bad company. It just means you know it just uh, isn't a fit sometimes, or they've, they've gotten you as far as they can get you. And those are the toughest uh, those are the toughest things to deal with. And you have to do that. Like you know, for we talking about the the maybe a, a smaller business that might be listening. I mean, you, if you want to grow your business and you want to be a better company than you are, you have to make those tough decisions and they're not easy. Um, and you just do it in a professional good way where you're not putting somebody out in the street, you're giving them enough um, severance to not think for their supper and you, you make those tough decisions. So, so your role changes though also, doesn't it? I mean, because you, I mean, just in the way you interact and, and who you're adding to the mix. I mean, I, I always say sometimes we need to get out of the way a little bit. I mean, do you find that you're, are you, are you good at letting other people take the kind of leadership role? It's not easy, is it? Yeah, it's not easy. It's not, especially when you see um, somebody, uh, you know, going down a path that you don't think might be um, the right path, yet you know that, that that's the way that person learns. And so you've got to let them let them do that. I mean, I still have a post-it note on my computer monitor that says, reminder, I am the question guy, not the answer guy. As just a reminder for myself that, you know, I, I can't, my job, if I'm going to be true to passing the DNA throughout the organization, it's, it's about helping them get closer to the answer on their own versus me giving them the answer. And most of the time, their answer is 10 times better than the answer that I would have come up with. <laughs> So it's just a matter of asking them the right questions and, and then being there for them. Right. So we, you know, our, our mindset around, um, you know, culturally is around coaching versus managing. Right. So I might say something if I'm giving feedback to one of my direct reports, Hey, look, as your coach who cares, um, I noticed this, this, and that. Um, and let's walk through that. Let's brainstorm how we might've handled that differently. 
So first of all, love the love the I'm the question guy, not the answer guy. So that's just a great realization. I hope everyone listening understands how important that is. And then you're surrounding yourself with smarter people getting better answers. So, so you know, you, you built this company and you're still building it. So now how do you lead it? I mean, you talk about the culture at Dos Gringos. Like, how do you care for that culture? Daily, um, daily and, and consistently. I mean, I, I think that um, that's, uh, you know, the, the culture of, let's just take the mission of, of bringing smiles to millions of people um, and making fresh flowers part of everyday life. You know, when you, it's so easy to keep that culture because it's so, I mean, it's as basic as walking down an assembly line and looking at a bouquet that may or may not, you know, say it doesn't hit quality standards and asking, you know, the, the, the person on the line, hey, would you, if you gave this to your grandmother, would she smile? Would she be happy? No, you know, head down. Okay, well, let's redo it. Make, make her smile, right? And then the opposite of that is picking up a bouquet and saying, wow, you brought this home to your wife. Would she smile? Yeah. Awesome. Great job. Uh, and, you know, you're just doing that throughout the day is this, is the, from the design team is what we're designing. Is it airtight and rock solid? And it's going to make it from here to Boston and then have the consumer smiling for seven days when it's on their kitchen countertop. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's launch that. Let's test that. Let's try that. Let's launch that. Let's go for that. So that's, you know, you know, culturally how we keep the dream alive. Yeah, see, and, and, and you're right. I mean, that is, it's a fun way to look at it and, it, and especially if they can personalize it. And so are there any things that, you know, specifically you do with your top leadership to make sure that they keep that holistic perspective of the company? Definitely. And it's a great question. I, uh, um, I think it's so key, right, to, to stay grounded. I think, you know, sometimes you can be, um, you can lose sight if you're, you know, in your, spending too much time in your office. Um, I call it, um, you know, kind of always shifting amongst the altitudes from runway time to 15,000 feet time to 30,000 feet time. And, you know, some of our runway time that I do with the leadership team is, um, you know, twice a month, we call it LWP. It's lunch with the president where my leadership team and myself sit down with members of the team from different departments that rotate the HR team puts, you know, people together and, different departments and we just have lunch together. We spend uh, an hour and uh, we bring in lunch and we, you know, we go around the table, we get to hear about them and get to know them as a person from a uh, favorite band to, do they have pets, a uh, dog's name and kids and family and get to know everybody. Um, and then also, you know, we talk about the business and kind of what we're reminding them of, of what we're, what we're here to do. Uh, and then we're listening to them. Like, what would you do if you were, if you own the business? What would you do if you were the leader of assembly and production? What would you do if you were in charge of procurement? How would you do it differently? And we listen to them and we take notes. The HR, our HR team is, is person is there and, and taking notes. And then the kind of last question is, what do you need to do your job? What kind of tools do you need to do your job better? Uh, and are you happy here? And, and, um, and listening to that. And a lot of times, you know, we get some really good candid feedback. We try to make it, as safe and, and open as environment. I mean, that's culturally, that's kind of what we're, we stand for in terms of, um, you know, there's kind of a boundaryless business that's, you know, committed to constant improvement, which means you sometimes you have to hear bad things, which, you know, you might not be doing everything great, um, but being open to it and being open to fixing it. Um, so that's how I, we connect kind of a leadership team with, with uh, the assembly, assembly team and the line, the line team. 
So let me ask you, because I mean, you know, as you grow bigger, that becomes more difficult. I mean, you could almost spend a whole year just having lunches then and, and listening to people. So how often do you do that? Do you, does everyone in the company get a, an opportunity in, in a, a year to do that? Not everybody, no, to your point, um, but it's a random, random sampling. Um, and I will tell you that, uh, that people that <laughs> I've gotten multiple feedback throughout the year that it is um, people, you know, are proud when they go back down to the assembly line after they've had lunch and that, that kind of spread that goodwill spreads down throughout. Uh, but we have, you know, once a month, we have an all hands on town hall meeting where whether it's, you know, we have assembly facility in Mexico and Miami and then here in California and uh, everybody's on the video conference, et cetera. And we're talking about uh, how we're doing as a company, what we're working on, what um, each department is doing. Uh, to try to keep the communication uh, flowing, and that's how we've been able to to scale. So I love that. So but once it's that, a- constant communi- communication and recognition. So the intent, the town hall meeting has two two intents, which is communication. So a lot of times people from other departments don't understand what uh, they think. Maybe other departments are just sitting on their hands, not doing anything. <laughs> so my job is to make sure that um, I always tell my team, like, look, I sit in a really, we sit in a really unfair seat. Because we see the we see all the colors of the beach ball, and the team a lot of times only sees their color of the beach ball. And our job is to make sure that the whole company sees all the colors of the beach ball. So once a month we communicate what all the colors of the beach ball are doing, and then the other intent of that meeting is recognition. So we have the the Gringo Star Award, um, where a team member who's gone above and beyond and, and kind of exemplified. Uh, the core values um, uh, is recognized and you get a hundred bucks and a sombrero and a picture with me that I hang proudly in my office. Oh, that's great. And, and um, so that's the recognition piece. And so just cause I, I want my listeners to understand. So you worldwide, you got people in Mexico, you got they gather around a screen somewhere mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and the, even if they're in the field or whatever, everybody in the company gets to be part of that on a monthly basis. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's yep. great. So, so just just because I want to always be candid, have you ever had somebody say, "No, I'm not happy," or "I'm I'm not happy here"? Or absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, how, so how do you respond to that? How do you? I mean, then, then do you make, do you make changes? Like, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, first of all, it's tell me more, right? <laughs> and then tell me more about that. Tell me more. I mean, most of the time, people quit people, people don't quit companies, right? So most of the time it's, there's a lot to it and you can learn a lot from the, and, and sometimes you, if it's a person you want to save, you can you know, try to make the save. And sometimes it's just, uh, doesn't mean they're a bad person or we're a bad company. It just isn't a good fit. Uh, but I, I mean, look, in, within the spirit of constant improvement and, and commitment to learning, um, that when you have, when you're presented with that type of a situation, you want to learn everything you can from it, see how you can get better, and then move forward either um, to your separate ways or, or together with a change in, in whatever needs to be changed to make them more content. So I'm just, just curious because, you know, this is a multicultural company, which is awesome. Do you speak Spanish? I mean, do you do those meetings in Spanish? Are they translated? Yeah, we do them in English and Spanish. Yeah, okay. um, yeah Absolutely. I do speak Spanish and, and, um, and sometimes I'll say a few things in Spanish, but I, I wish my comprehension is a hundred percent. My, my verbal is probably about 87.5%. So I, 
sometimes if it's an important message, I'll have it translated. <laughs> right, right. No, just to get it right and make sure it's important. So you t- and our team is our team is pretty bilingual as well, so that we do everything in English and Spanish. Right. So you you talk about the, the four pillars Dos Gringos built is built on people, freshness, innovation, growth. Regarding people, I, I read an article where you said that finding and keeping good people is an ever present initiative at your company. So how have you as a leader infused this into your company and created the space to do that? Well, I mean, part of it is the recruitment process, right? So uh, making sure that we have, uh, it's a, nothing ever moves fast enough for me. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think that's just part of my, my growth <laughs> and it's just being patient. Uh, one of my mantras is I'm a calm and patient person. It's easy and important for me to balance my life because I just don't have any of those. So I'm constantly working on that. That's kind of a mantra of mine. But but um, the process of bringing somebody onto the team is pretty slow. I mean, it's about six interviews. It's music uh, um, cultural index uh, to make sure we initially have a good fit um, for that for that position. Uh, we you know we'll have direct reports interview the position. We'll have colleagues interview for that position. And then the final phase is we have what we call the culture club, which is the people who've been with me for 10 years or more who, you know, kind of, we call it, they get it, they want it, they're all over it. And they know um, pretty well whether this person will fit in culturally with, uh, with us. And that's the final phase of that selection process. So that is such a great idea, the culture club. So those are people, and, and how many people are in that culture club when, in, in a meeting? In an interview, it's about about six. About six. Yeah. So they've been with you for yeah. ten years. You know that, and then they have a say in it, and so they're giving kind of their blessing as well. And then, so that really makes a difference, doesn't it? It really makes a difference. Yeah. yeah but I think too, you know, it, part of it is you know having the the team. You're constantly, you know, chief talent scout is uh, whether you're a manager or an owner or you know whatever, you know, constantly looking for great people. Um, even when you're not, uh, when, even when you don't have an open position, is an important mindset as well. Like I, I, I think about that role as chief talent scout um, a lot because a great person can really make a huge difference to your business and a bad person, an onboard terrorist, can really make a huge difference to your business. Yeah. So I use this term time and time again where I'm like, you know, it is like a cancer eating away at a body. I mean, it's so sad to have to say that, but if you don't cut it out, I mean, it can infect the whole, the whole organization. And so, so and, and those decisions are not easy to make because, you know, you're always willing to have one more meeting and one more, you know, set of demands or set of uh, goals. And in the end, I guess, as leaders, a lot of time we realize that we know what the end result is. We just don't want to take that step to get there. Right. And and to the, you know, our conversation earlier, you have to, you just have to do it. If you want to, if you want to be great, you just have to do it. I mean, and, and if you're, you know, if it's also your choice as an owner of a business. If you want to put up with it, then that's your choice too. But you know what you're going to get. And we say you hire smarter, you manage tough. And it's far too time consuming to manage tough. So spend a lot of time hiring smart and um, making those good hiring decisions. Well, I hope and that my list. I hope my life listener, a whole lot easier. I hope my listeners take to heart the 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 six interviews and the and the culture club and all of that because it. When you get the right people, it really changes the whole the whole dynamic of the organization. And and you talk a lot. I mean, when we talked for the first time I met you at that Visage meeting, you put an emphasis on professional development of your people. So what does that look like in practice at Dos Gringos? Like, 
instead of just being a corporate buzzword, how do you invest in those people? Well, I mean, we, so coaching, you know, we use, uh, and this is a Vistage uh, speaker. Um, I think it was tech at the time. Um, we had a, a speaker um, uh, come in and, and to, to his um, process and program was catalytic coaching. I don't know if you know Gary, um, but catalytic coaching is the the mindset around um, you know don't you're not doing kind of annual reviews. What you are doing is coaching. They're not tying communication. You're not tying compensation to professional development. And so it's a you know three page of process where um, the person's kind of feeding back to you what they've done in the organization, and then you're giving them some lists for improvement, and they're coming back to you with an action plan. Um, and then you're meeting to get meeting quarterly on those um, on those objectives. So you know catalytic coaching is um, is the way, is is probably the biggest way that we do that. And then I'll do a, a, a book series with my leadership team where we pick a book uh, a quarter and you know read a chapter every couple of weeks and then kind of talk about that particular topic um, and see if there's any, what what takeaways there might be. Um, and um, our team does that as well. And then just the, the the meeting flow, the daily meet, the meeting rhythm, a weekly meeting rhythm, you know, where you're talking about and helping the team, you know, focus on we call it HPT, highest payoff task. So, so every Monday, uh, the lead team leaders and myself with my leadership team are talking about these are the high these are the high fives, these are the five highest path tasks for the week, um, and then you are seeing where you know finance might overlap with operations and one of their um, highest path tasks, so they're collaborating. Uh, we do that every Monday, and then Friday we close and we check the things off. Right, so we're I got this done. This is an open loop, and then that's my chance to say, all right, where are you stuck? Where's the roadblocks? How can I support you? Um, and, you know, and, and those, that, that's kind of hands-on personal and professional development right there. And if they're doing that with their team, which they are, then, and then their team's doing that with their team, then all of a sudden that professional development just snowballs. See, everyone, and listen carefully to what Jason's talking about. So this is a deliberate, <laughs> this is deliberate in, in how you execute and how you're investing and how you're, and, and when people feel that they want to give you their best, they just do. And so, because they feel like it's not just about you, Jason, or, or even Dos Gringos, it's about everyone moving forward. And, and, you know, that leads into your second pillar, which is freshness. And this is, this is a tricky one because, I mean, this is not easy. I mean, you said you had 14 days, you know, from the start to the finish. Can you share with my listeners a little bit like how you decided to implement professional forecasting systems and what other mechanisms ensure that freshness side? I was, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I was relieved to hear. So um, uh, I can't believe I hadn't read it before, but I'm reading right now. Shoe Dog, uh, Phil Knight's book. Uh, yeah, I haven't read um, it. It's, it's great. In fact, my 11-year-old asked me, we were uh, up doing some skiing. I tried to get off the grid for a week. So we we're up doing some some skiing, on, actually on some rocks up in Park <laughs> City. And uh, and one night, my eleven-year-old uh, asked me, "He's like, Dad, have you ever read anything but a nonfiction self-help book?" What about Harry Potter, Dad? Have you ever read Harry Potter? Exactly, which I have not. Uh, so anyway, it was he was talking about you know supply and demand and and some of his woes, you know, growing his business um, and growing Nike, and and how that you know is is just an inherent issue with every industry. Um, 
you know, keeping up, keep supply and demand, matching it up. And it is um, by far a game breaker um, position and a game breaker um, task for us because if we're off, we're off big and we're throwing away 300, 400,000 sunflowers, you know, if we're, and if we're off on the other side of it, we're turning down orders, which means we're not filling on time and, and we're disappointing clients. So putting in those forecasting systems and the process and the people and spending time on that was, um, was a big um, kind of aha for us. And when, and then we kind of over what I call overstaffed the challenge to try to get it right uh, because it was such a game breaker. We realized, we realized it too late too. Like it was a mistake. Uh, one of the mistakes along the way, which was, wow, you know, what if we actually had some professional forecasting? What if we weren't just winging it and throwing a bunch of seeds in the ground? And, and what if we actually talked to our customers and did these quarterly death side chats and, and asked them, Hey, are you adding stores? Are you adding, you know, uh, what's your growth plans? And then we had a, more of a disciplined process around forecasting what a concept. Um, and so that's, that's how we got to that point. And you know what I love about that is that even in your discussions with those clients, I mean, they see how serious you are. They see how professional you are. They see that you can be part of that growth plan because you're planning with them and you become that true partner, that face-to-face true partner that, that, that really matters to them and can grow with them. Yeah, it's a collaborative, um, a collaborative approach, right? I mean, I, I'm a big believer and, and we still, you know, uh, you know, most of the big box stores are really, really um, professional and collaborative because they know that's the way. I mean, the days of an adversarial relationship between buyer and seller, kind of what I call one down, one up, where a buyer bugs down and the supplier and the supplier, you know, kind of bows down to, to them. There's just, there's just very little long-term future in that. Um, so big, big companies know this and they're collaborative. They know that it, it works together and it's our values are equal. And the better job we do for them, the more sales that they have. And, and so, you know, the, the great retailers of the world um, have a very collaborative approach versus a very adversarial approach. And, and those are the clients that we, we grow with. And, and, yeah, it goes back to that whole philosophy. Like you've you've got to be moving forward. You've got to be looking for opportunities, and and it's got to be a win win for everybody. And I'm just a big believer in that with my employees, with my with my clients. You know, everybody's got to walk away feeling good about the deal. Otherwise, it's not going to last very long. And 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 I guess that leads directly into, into this part, which is that third that third pillar, which is innovation. Because I'm sure that you're you're watching your competitors on a regular basis, and they're driving you to be better. And I think the economic principle of creative destruction is so under you know talked about in business, especially when companies are industry leading. And the tendency there, what I mean by that is, it's you get comfortable, you know, at the top. And so, how are you creatively destroying yourself and your company on a regular basis to make sure you're innovative? Yeah, constantly. And I love that word, um, creative destruction. I think that was uh, such a great takeaway from that book. And I'm so glad you brought brought that up because I think that's what it is. And you're constantly reinventing yourself um, in order to, to grow. And, you know, I've got some really, really good competitors who are really, really smart and, and innovative and they keep me on my toes. Um, and so, and I also, we also have some really, really good uh, people in produce that are very good and innovative. And I try, to, I try to to follow more along the lines of some of the big produce companies and the things that they're doing versus my competition. Um, 
and um, and they you know keep driving us to be better, um, better. And it's all and it, it you know basically comes down to you know what are we doing on the innovation side um, that is. Uh, making a better experience for the consumer so that they come keep coming back to the to the grocery store and the grocery store keeps coming back to us um, and we keep the snowball snowball going and that could be anything from you know innovation around a longer lasting flower uh, innovation around a different color of a same flower so um, for example a white sunflower versus the yellow sunflower it could be innovation around um, adding succulents in a bouquet line so that You've got something that you can repurpose after it dies. Um, could be innovation around, you know, kind of a container that is a keepsake versus so the consumer gets something even though their flowers, you know, are, are perished to perished. So constantly, I mean, it's a, we have an innovation team, you know, every two weeks, we've got an innovation room that's locked. That's kind of a, a secret door that, that uh, mm-hmm. two, only two people in the company have a key to. And we have, you know, six boards that go from, you know, idea to um, product development, to trial, um, to trial again, to semi-commercial, to commercial, to launch on a big scale. And we're constantly, every two weeks, we get together on a Friday afternoon and we sit in our beanbags and we, uh, we, and I'm part of that team. And I I was probably the favorite part of my, my week um, when it happens. And we talk about, you know, how do we stay cutting edge? How do we be, be innovative? And I would guess that why that's probably part of the most exciting part for you is it's 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 still in that entrepreneurial phase. Each one of those products is like being an entrepreneur again and starting something and inventing something and creating something that's great and value that has value. So that's that, and then then that equals into the growth part, which is your fourth pillar. So what does that last pillar of growth mean to you? Like when you talk about growth, so what growth, does it mean to you? Yeah, so growth, um, growth, you know, literally and and and. Um, I mean, so growth for us means not just growing sales. Um, it also means growth uh, professionally, right? So, you know, we've had, uh, we always look internally for when we have a business, we have five people this year, um, which may not seem like a, a lot, but but I'll take it, um, who were promoted into different roles. Um, so instead of going from, you know, looking from the outside to fill those roles, they were at a growth they had grown enough professionally to be able to take on that role. Um, and so that's, um, you know, growth means that. Um, and then the, I think, um, you know, growing also means um, growing of the flowers and getting better and faster at how we grow when we breed for, um, for a seed, we breed for speed um, so that we can grow flowers faster. Um, and, and it also goes back to the innovation side of it too. Like that's, how are we going to grow? How are we going to create more jobs? How are we going to be better? Um, how are we going to grow? Grow as people, grow as, grow sales. Um, do we want to grow sales? Where are we right now? Are we, is it profitable growth? Is it fun growth? Um, you know, are we, is, is this a, is this a problem product? Is this a problem client? Is this a problem vendor? Is this life too short? <laughs> um, let's, let's grow from that experience. Uh, so, you know, you're you're growing in multiple ways, right? If that makes any sense. No, no, totally. <laughs> because I mean, and again, the the product, or I'm sorry, the profit and the 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 big side of growing a business, big, you know, that comes after 
you know, you achieve being better and, and getting the right people and all of these different things. So I, I love that you see growth in a lot of different ways. And, and you know, the innovation side, all these, all these pillars are really important, for, especially for, for any size business really, but the leaders to understand because, you know, through innovation is opportunity. I remember I was fortunate to speak in, in Hawaii and the head of Kauai Coffee was there and he took me out into the field and he actually lifted off this drone that heads out every morning and had this heat sensor this infrared heat sensor that sensed where the water was too much watering and not enough watering and you know in his fields and it was just an amazing concept and and process to watch so this cool. happen and so every morning it yeah, reports so. back like where we need more water and where where there's lack of and you know a lot of his competitors probably aren't doing that and so to see that success and, and, and the excitement that he had for that and that all comes from you know making sure you have the right people and the right leadership. And so, you know, from that leadership perspective, Jason, you know, what does leadership mean to you personally? Oh, so many different things. I mean, I think, um, you know, for me, it's, um, it's around creating um, a workplace where people um, wake up in the morning and they fire out of bed and, and pull into the parking lot and to, to borrow your word, say it's showtime every <laughs> single morning because you've created that, you've created that culture and you've created that, that space and place for them to feel comfortable. And, you know, life's too short to work um, and, and, and a, do something that you're just not happy doing. Um, and so if I can lead a company that is a, is a fun uh, workplace is a, is a place where people can try different things and feel creative and, and um, it's, it's comfortable uh, is, is a learning culture is about constant improvement. Um, then, then I'm a decent leader. Right. I think that's, uh, that's the, that's the key. Right. Uh, you, you definitely have a better chance of being successful with that, with that in place. And, 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 and the people, I mean, we talk about strategy, finance, people, is there one trait that you would look for in, in your top people and why? Like what, if, if I had to ask you just to choose one trait, what would that trait be? Oh, I, I would go with, um, you know, positive, positive energy, positive mindset, positive energy. You know, the, the great people just vibrate at a different level. I mean, they just, they're just, they're, they're, they're committed to constant improvement. They're committed to getting better. They're, they're not, um, adversarial when it comes to feedback they can take feedback they can learn from feedback it's a uh, hey tell me more about tell me shoot did i mess up tell me more about that what do you think what um they're they, they can they're just um they've got just a, a different aura about them if that makes sense you know it's, it's a just I would say the same as for successful entrepreneurs. I mean, they're problem solvers. They have that, like you said, to use your words, positive energy. I mean, they just—it's not that they deny that there are problems. They're problems. Everybody has problems. But what are the solutions? And what are the answers? And how do we overcome it or go around it or, you know, underneath it? Whatever it takes to get to the other side. So, and I would add—I would add on the leadership team on the leadership front too. It's, um, you know, the the. Surrounding yourself with the, the people, so you're able to to take a longer view, you know, five years down the road, and and leading, you know, strategically in terms of this is where the business, you know, could be heading. Um, how are we going to if it if it goes there? How are we going to be responding to that? And you know, taking a little bit of a longer term approach, and then you know, beating that constantly, beating the the, the mission 
kind of vision drum. And I, I, I know it can sound cliche about the, 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 um, you know, the mission statement, et cetera, but the, it's cliche when you have a, a, a four paragraph mission statement. It's not cliche when you have a one sentence mission statement, then it's powerful and it's meaningful. And so you're, if you're a decent leader, you're constantly beating that mission. You know, is the, will this product bring a smile? Yes or no. If no, don't put it in a box. If yes, put it in a box and give yourself a pat on the back. You know, that you constantly leaders are, are, are living that day in and day out. So again, huge smile on my face because this is what I talk about. Of like, no one's reading your long mission statements. Make it simple. Make it easy so that we all know what you know what path we're on. And what I love about yours is you know we deliver smiles. Is that it's it's within the company too. I mean, are we all getting along? Do we like to be here? Are you having fun? You know, and then it goes on to the to the to the dealing with the clients, and then to the end user. I mean, there's just so many different aspects of that. So you're right. I mean, you you've done a good job, and you've probably learned some of these things over the years. Um, through trial and error, like we talked about, you know, the mistakes have been made and opportunities have been, you know, you've grabbed onto some opportunities. But what one piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self and why? So knowing what you know today, what one piece of advice? Never, ever give up. If you believe in it, um, if you believe in it, don't ever, ever, ever give up. And, um, you know, and, you know, find something you love to do and be willing to get better at it and, and be committed to getting better at it, regardless of what it is. I mean, you can, you can build a career, you can build a business, you could build a life around your, whatever you're passionate about, whatever it is. It doesn't mean, you know, it could be garbage man, it could be businessman. I mean, you should, if you're passionate about it and you're committed to it, um, stay with it and know that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal. Um, and it's worth it. Yeah, there's, Keep going. There's Keep tough going. times, but out of tough times come great, great, great opportunities and and great experiences. You know, you know, I'm glad that you brought up your your trip, you know, your ski trip and taking some time with the family. I'm sure you're busy, and like I said, you had a you have not only a demanding schedule, but then also a delicate product that needs a lot of attention. But there is that that balance that you want, you know, of of family and fun and experiences. How do you make sure that that happens? How do you find and maintain that balance? I'm, this, this is a, this is the worst. Uh, I'm the worst at answering this question because I still haven't found it. You know, I, just, I tell you my daily mantra is, uh, I'm a calm and patient person, and it's easy and important for me to balance my life. And uh, I still struggle with it. But my uh, my one of my team members is uh, my right and left hands and feet does a pretty good job of uh, putting things on the calendar, putting that kind of private work time and and family time and on uh, uh on my calendar and then i have to force myself right to to uh one of the things i learned um is that uh you know it, it's easy to show up and watch you know your your son or your daughter play a sport but when you're actually coaching them you're really committed and you're in it so it's a way for me to kind of force myself to be um to be there and to be be balanced and um so you do coach time. but it's, it's a I do, yeah. Throughout the, through throughout the night, daughter's sixteen, so no more coaching of her. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, we can do it offline if you want her online. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, 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 now everybody's going to be interested. Go ahead. <laughs> wow, a sixteen-year-old uh, was playing played water polo for the first time um, this year. Uh, she's a sophomore, 
And I know nothing about nothing about water polo. I never played all sorts of sports growing up, and I knew nothing about water polo. And so I went to the first game, and uh, we were in the car on the way home. I was like, Annie, Annie, what a great sport! God, so that is amazing. You guys, your feet never touch the ground. You're swimming back and forth. What great exercise! The coordination, and you're shooting the ball, and and that's awesome. Like, mom didn't play water polo. I didn't play water polo. Why water polo? And she said, uh, Dad, I promised myself when you coached my last team that I would never, ever play a sport that you knew anything about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a, sh- that's a shot across the bow moment. <laughs> totally. That's so funny. And I, you know, it's just, it's, my wife will say, nobody sucks the fun out of kids' sports more than Jason Levin. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just take it too seriously. I, sometimes I care too much. But I think if you ask my... My 11-year-old, I think you asked Jackie, would say, uh, that's awesome, and I I love it. Uh, I love his passion, right? But I don't, uh, I'm not a very good dabbler. I'm not a very good dabbler. So, you know, part of your success, but then also part, so what I appreciate about this conversation is you're willing to actually, you know, accept that and then maybe have a little fun with it, but then also realize maybe there's some some things that you can do to get better. And, And that's, you know, life is a journey for all of us. I mean, Anyone who can sit here and say we're perfect, I mean, you better reevaluate. There's no halo sitting over this head or anybody else's head that I know completely intact. But, you know, we can all try to be the best that we can be. And, and, and you know, and I think that, again, it goes around to the people that you have around you. And so was there anyone in your life that had a significant impact on you as a leader that you can describe? Like a specific person? Well, I, parent? My parents. I mean, my, my, par- my parents, both of them, um, were, um, were very instrumental in my growth and development and, you know, kind of guiding and shaping, um, who I am today. Like I to, to go back full circle from the, where we started. I mean, I, first of all, you start at the time when you're born in America and then you, I mean, I had two really great parents. I mean, I, I really, who, who loved and cared for me and were, I mean, were, were, you know, provided me with opportunities and, and, um, you know, let me, let me grow and, and, develop and kind of guided and shaped and, but, you know, were there for me. And, you know, but I mean, that was one of the, the looking back, you know, probably one of the mistakes was one of the, one of the mistakes was, you know, thinking to myself and being too proud, like not borrowing money from friends or family. I could have saved myself a bunch of headaches by not kind of having a loan shark as a partner in the beginning. Um, but I was very, you know, very appreciative of the life that I had growing up and, and that mindset of, Hey, look, if I can't do it on my own after everything my parents have given me, I'm a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I got to do this on my own now. Um, I got to, they, they've done enough. I'm good. Do you mind I if I ask, this. are they still living? They are. Yeah, They are. So, uh, well, you're going to have to let them listen to this. Cause I, I think there's no finer, no better, you know, thing that can happen to you in life is if you're sitting there and your, your son, Jason is running a successful company and gives the success to his parents. I mean, they, they must be very proud and hopefully they get to hear this because, uh, you know, I think as a parent myself, I mean, your only hope and dream is to get to that position where, you know, that's, that's something that says, which mean, meant you had a positive impact on them, which meant you inspired them, all these different things. So in that same vein, in my speeches, I asked the audience to answer the question, how do you want your children to describe you to their children? What will your legacy be? So Jason, in your wildest fantasy, how would you want to be described? You know, my dad came. My dad was present. Um, he always brought a smile to our face. He was consistent. 
Um, he just, uh, there was never any, there was never anything we could do that would ever make him not love us unconditionally. Um, and we, uh, we always smiled when he was around. Yeah. Can't, can't beat that. I love continuing with the smiles. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time and insight. I really appreciate it. You know, we're spinning really fast on a very dangerous planet. And I, for one, am glad that we have people like you who have figured out, you know, how to create a company to deliver people smiles. So if ever I can help you in that mission, please don't hesitate to ask. But thank you for sharing your story, and I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, my team and I are working on some fun and exciting things coming from the Quiggle Group. So stay tuned for that. It's coming. In the meantime, though, please be sure to subscribe to Garage to Goliath in iTunes or SoundCloud. Don't just listen. Subscribe. Subscribing helps others find the show. Please also leave an honest review. Your reviews help me get better as a host and help make this show better for you. And I'd be so grateful to you if you'd share this podcast with others on social media. Or send a quick email or text about the show to another leader you think would enjoy the podcast and that it would encourage them on their leadership journey. You can help me get the word out by sharing the podcast so that we can continue to build our leadership legacies together. Thank you.